Hello and welcome to the Slugger O2 podcast. In this episode, we're going to be taking our now yearly look at the State of the State Report published by Deloitte. Uh, the State of the State Report uh, surveys public uh, sector experts' uh, insights into the State of the State. Also, some public attitudes as well. It takes a holistic view across the UK, and it's one of my favourite reports of the year. So and we have with us Ed Rollis, who is the Head of Research at Deloitte, and we have Marie Doyle, who is a partner in Deloitte, Northern Ireland. Marie, Ed, you're both very welcome to the Slugger Podcast. Thanks, David. Thanks, okay, David. I'm going to start off with you, Ed. Walk us through... The report this year. I mean, who do you who do you talk to? How's the report put together? Uh, just in a general UK sense, and Marie, I'll come to you about the Northern Ireland specific side. Okay, sure. So the state of the state bolts together two bits of research essentially. Uh, we we commissioned Ipsos to do a survey of the public for us, and in total, they hit about 5,815 members of the public, including 420 in Northern Ireland, to ask about attitudes to government and public services. And then into that, we bring interviews and insight from interviews with public sector leaders. Totally across the UK, we talked to 108 people, that included permanent secretaries and other senior civil servants, police leaders, NHS leaders, council chief executives, and so on. Uh, and in Northern Ireland, we spoke to a whopping 30 uh, people. So we pulled together that survey material and that insight from interviews, and that gives us this view of the state, if you like, from the people who run it and the people it serves. Okay, fascinating um, uh stuff there it's a really is is a, is a wide set marie just on the northern ireland specific side because i know this is stuff that, that you've been involved in obviously delights a big corporation with um uh, with people across the piece um tell us a wee bit about the northern ireland side about who who was spoken to and how we pieced together the northern ireland specific section of the report yeah so as i had said it's quite unique because it brings together the perspectives of those who run the public services and those who use them so in northern ireland we do a really comprehensive cross set of interviews um with public sector leaders so your permanent secretaries across the civil service leaders in health leaders in education leaders in a number of arms length bodies across government and we tend to focus david on a number of key questions that are consistent and, and therefore we're able to pull together all of those findings to get some really clear, coherent, consistent themes around key issues for the state. Brilliant. And uh, Ed, let's just walk through, because obviously um, you have done a poll, you've done a lead interviews, you've done all my favourite methodologies. Um, uh, tell us a wee bit about what you find. In the interesting, I find it's always interesting in Northern Ireland, we're quite often you know, famed for wanting our cake and eat it. Um, on so many things. We want these great Scandinavian style public services, but we want Reaganite levels of taxation. Your report kind of backs that assertion up a wee bit, doesn't it? It does a bit. I mean, we all want our cake and eat it. And I think that's definitely true. It's a good observation. So what we found really is that the, the public in Northern Ireland stand out in the UK as the most likely to say, we want lower taxes, even if that means lower public spending. And then when you look at what people are saying are their priorities, they want you know better NHS, they want the, the NHS waiting lists cut, they want the 
cost of living sorted out. They want better social care, uh, a f- better, more affordable housing. They they want the whole piece. So yeah, I think there is a sense of a sense of cake and eating it. That's not unusual, really, in terms of people's expectations of government and public services. But where Northern Ireland stands out is that it also wants lower taxes. And that's always always fascinating to, to see that dichotomy. Marie, obviously, we're about to get devolution restored in Northern Ireland at the time of recording. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday, uh, the 1st of February. Uh, we're about to get devolution restored again. Um, um, there are some interesting findings in the report about what some of the challenges facing an incoming executive. Could you tell us a wee bit about that, about some of the findings in the report in that respect? Yeah, absolutely, David. And it's it's interesting timing for us this year when we undertook the research, both with the public and the public sector leaders. It was at a time when the executive was out and had been out for, you know, a, a year and three quarters. So the challenges were mounting up. There was no doubt about that. And just as Ed was saying, people, you know, want want lower taxes. I think there there is a there was a sense of a, a, a failing state to some degree and people just wanting to get on, maybe not being able to access health and social care and thinking, well, you know, surely there's a different model out there. There's no doubt that um, the interviews we, we had, David, identified a wide variety of challenges for an incoming executive. And um, I think the first thing to say is, in particular, the broad consensus was that people wanted a restored executive, they wanted a return to local decision making, but they didn't want a return to insecure structures. They talked about the need for resilient government, a resilient executive, an executive who's going to share responsibility more so than share power. So shared responsibility around some of the big the big um, transformation priorities in Northern Ireland. And what are those priorities? Well, people talk to us about health, about social care, and that chimed with what the public told us as well. Um, cost of living and 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 that uh, it come into the mix as well. So how do we support people, um, you know, who, who need to access health and social care to do so in a way that's going to be effective? And we've long talked about, um, you know, the need for transformation of our health system. So undoubtedly, that was one of the key priorities we heard. But we also heard about things like childcare and how do we alleviate some of the childcare pressures we see across the system to enable people to come back into the workforce was a big issue. Um, we heard about the plan planning system and the the time it takes to get planning approvals through the system and the fact that that is just holding up infrastructure and economic development in Northern Ireland and and that is a real prohibitor of of us getting on and and being more more prosperous. So a whole wide ranging set and of course every every single person you talk to has a challenge in their department and they talked about you know the snowball of crisis rolling down the hill but everyone whether it's transport whether it's education whether it's health whether it's the economy they all can tell their own stories about the challenges and the crisis they're facing and the need to make tough decisions to be honest in respect of transforming services going forward government needs ministers basically doesn't it that's that's the issue i mean you'll know david better than better than anybody all this all this stuff it doesn't happen by accident what you know why do we have a legislature and a legislative and an executive why do we have scrutiny all this kind of stuff because you need it to have democratic accountability that's why ministers need to be there to make decisions and they're elected by the people to do that. So, you know, government in, in Northern Ireland is pretty strung out having had such a long absence of that. 
Yeah, and just to add, just whilst we're sticking on that, again, just to stick with some of the polling um, uh, that you guys have done on this, public trust, I mean, across the, the piece, and I looked across the UK, now to put it in context, <coughs> uh, public trust in institutions isn't great. Um, uh, that's true across the Western world at the minute. But in Northern Ireland, it remains pretty low. Uh, can you walk us through a bit of some of the findings on that? Yeah, yeah, slightly awkward question, isn't it? I mean, so yeah, pu public trust, we, we ask every year, uh, to what extent do you trust different levels of government and public services to do a range of things? And we, we give the public some criteria, things like uh, generally doing the right thing by society, delivering major projects on time. Um, and government in Northern Ireland seems to have come out the lowest level of trust in that over the years. I think it's fairly obvious why. I, I think it's the intermittent and absence of an executive is just driving down levels of trust. We're going to keep asking this question year on year. Uh, and I'd love to see those trust levels in Northern Ireland go up and up and up. And I think it is, it is all to play for. Though it is, I should say, in the same ballpark as levels of trust in UK government. So it's not, it, you know, it's not that far out. But it is it is lower uh, than the other devolved governments. Yeah, much. So, yeah, it, it is. Yeah, so it is in a different ballpark from Scotland and Wales, and I think with them having functional uh, functional ministers, um, it stayed buoyant. Uh, we've seen Wales drift down a little bit, so kind of leaving Scotland. Uh, surprisingly, to some, at the the top of the list of of trust, actually. So yeah, it is. I think the other, I think the other developed administrations. I think there's a sense of national pride in devolution. Actually, it's just that absence of ministers that Northern Ireland need to deal with. Yeah, and look, uh, not to get too too old man yells at cloud um, on, on on this. I want to talk a wee bit about because the report does a good job of identifying some of the problems, but also points to some of the solutions that some of the people are looking for in this. And Marie, I just wanted to come to you on this. Uh, obviously, there was talk about multi-year budgets. There was quotes about that, the need for that. There was also a talk about reform. And, you know, you you mentioned that in some of your other answers. Could you walk us through a wee bit of some of the findings that you find there, just in terms of um, in terms of those issues? Yeah. So on the on the finance and budget side, David, um, you know, nobody comes to us any year and says it's wonderful and we've loads of money and we don't know what to do with it. That's never the case. But this year was particularly different. This year was really, really difficult, to be honest. The conversations we had with public sector leaders, what they were trying to do in the face of budgets that had been set by a sector of state, only been set as the new financial year had kicked off. Um, in the absence of ministers, as I had said, to take the decisions that Maybe were needed to be taken to live within budgets and working and operating in an environment when where inflation was incredibly high and were just to do what you had to do the basic statutory things was really really difficult so the the, the budget situation this year was was really dire and you know everyone was consistently telling us that across all aspects of public services and government um the need for multi year budgets was also talked about and again this is this has been talked about for over a decade now you know we have not had consistent multi-year budgets in northern ireland and that just prohibits any long-term thinking any long-term investment um and you know it is having a toll on particularly on those enablers around infrastructure around economic development even around healthcare reform and the education estate i mean how can you people talk to us about you know 
boilers breaking down in schools and not being able to fix them because nobody has taken a long-term view or has been able to invest long-term capital into the school estate. Um, and then on the back of that, you know, they're also saying, but we're not sure which estates we should be investing because we're not sure what the future of education looks like. So the, the absence of multi-year budgets is a real difficulty when you're trying to make long-term decisions about the delivery of public services. And whilst we are all hopeful that the restoration of the executive will come with some financial stimulus to, to, to address some problems, nobody is saying that that is going to deal with the financial challenges that we have, particularly in the years beyond this financial year. Um, there is still very significant financial challenges across Northern Ireland public sector. And so I think there is a recognition that we're going to have to transform. We're going to have to reform how public services are delivered. We're going to have to try and get to a much more sustain financially sustainable system. And what does that mean? Um, it might mean, you know, delivering services in a different way, moving more things online, using digital in a more effective way. But it's definitely going to require transformation that's going to make things ultimately more affordable in Northern Ireland. Yeah, and uh, the interesting thing about about doing things differently, and Ed, I wonder if you could comment on 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 some of the things that we're that we're looking at there. I mean, we always talk about transformation. I mean, in the report, mm. it, it 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 did highlight some of the public attitudes um, uh, toward that. Um, what 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 was there anything that jumped out with you um, to you about the Northern Ireland side of that, Northern Ireland figures on that? So yeah, we, we did ask some questions about what people would prioritise in terms of, of public service improvement. And by and large, the public in Northern Ireland want to see public services that they can access within a reasonable time frame. Uh, so they want an appointment with a GP in a reasonable time frame, a hospital appointment within a they want the police to turn up when they find them, that kind of stuff. And then their second biggest priority is they want they want public services that will deal with complaints if things go wrong. So there's, there's, a, there's a kind of simplicity in it. There's a kind of a just, you know, a, a decent, pub, decent public services that, that we can access and complain about if it's not right. All the kind of, all the kind of reform debates about personalization and choice don't seem to really permeate the public consciousness quite as much. And the public say they don't think things like, you know, online technology uh, and collaboration between sectors to deliver public services is that important to them. Now, actually, if you're in the business of delivering public services, getting online technology right, even in the back office, let alone the interface with the public, is really important. Collaboration with other sectors is really important. But the public with the best will in the world probably don't care that much. They want a decent outcome. And that's what we found in the survey. I think the, the only other thing that I'd add on, on the reform piece is there's no end of decent diagnoses about what needs to change. And I, I see it over this side of the water in Whitehall as well. There's never any every couple of years, someone will do a, a diagnosis of what needs to change. The problem is making that happen and investing properly in a change program, implementation of major, major transformation. It doesn't happen when it's left for somebody to do at the side of the desk. Yeah, and uh, and that was something um, that we talked about. One of the things I found really interesting yesterday, being at the launch, was obviously um, one of the things that are, um, one of the opportunities that's out there obviously is about digital, and it is about how governments are doing things in a digital way. And some of the, so, so, some good examples were, were highlighted there, Marie. I just wonder, 
from your experience on this, is there anything um, from the report that, that you want to highlight? Because there is actually a, a, a bit of a positive story there in terms of some of the opportunities there and some of the things that are already happening within how things are being delivered in Northern Ireland in the digital space. Absolutely, absolutely, David. And I think it is important that we do recognise what is happening. Um, and, um, you know, one of the, the opportunities or the projects we talked about was the introduction of the electronic healthcare record in Northern Ireland that's going to move everybody's healthcare records onto an integrated system. So when you go into any care setting, all of your details will be there and, and someone doesn't have to run around and see a paper form uh, or find a paper folder. So there are advancements happening with digital that are going to revolutionise and, and I think personally, and lots of people agree, are going to improve public service delivery in Northern Ireland. So there are good things happening. Are they happening consistently? Are they happening at the pace that they could? I don't think so. Um, you know, so one of the things we reflected on yesterday at our launch of State of the State this year and through the interviews we had with public sector leaders was, is there enough skills and expertise in the public sector to drive and deliver digital transformation and I think everyone agreed there is not. Um, you know at a leadership level we don't see digital prioritised and integrated into leadership structures in the way other disciplines would be finance for instance. So I think there's a, there's a need to prioritise and give digital its right place in the leadership structures of public services but so too is there a need for people on the ground with those digital skills to drive that transformation. And one of the things we touched on yesterday and in our interviews was that the public sector does struggle to attract those individuals. We see, you know, week in, week out now, wonderful stories of FDI investment coming into Northern Ireland and offering people quite high salaries to do those digital jobs. So it is difficult. We recognise it is difficult for public sector to compete for, to attract those digital skills. But things like the academies where they can grow their own talent in that space will be important. So undoubtedly, there is nuggets of good success, David, in digital transformation. But I think we're at the, the very tip of the iceberg in terms of what it could deliver and what it could deliver for the betterment of the people that it serves. Yeah, it is. It is good to good to hear some good things around. But yeah, you're right. It can go and go an awful lot further. And I wanted to come to you on another issue because one thing that caught my eye was uh, you surveyed net zero. You looked at uh, mm. climate, the climate emergency and things like that. And quite often, um, the reason why this jumped out at me was, of course, the debate certainly in the UK context seems to be obviously about the UK purring back. Um, it's net zero um, commitments. Obviously, Northern Ireland passed the Climate Change Act and then the executive fell. So what, what did you find about net zero and attitudes there? Yeah, I think the pairing back is, is a bit more nuanced than it looked like at first blush. I mean, so it was the last September, wasn't it? Rishi Sunak said, we're going to change some of the milestones about what we're going to deliver on net zero. And inevitably, some it's, you know, it's politics, isn't it? So some people piled in and had a go at him about that. But when you talk to the the people who really are in the weeds on that stuff that they completely got that as a political decision and they said what you know what we had to do in this country and it's happened in france and it's happened in sweden and it's happened in germany is just recalibrate the the milestones and not change the outcome you know we're still headed towards net zero but what the public is prepared to countenance getting there 
in the short term needed to be tweaked and changed. And we descri describe it in the, the report as, you know, the first bumps on the road to net zero. And I think you have to accept that's going to happen. Um, one, of, one thing we do conclude in the report is that government is going to have to really reach out to the public and really kind of sell to them. I mean, this is net zero. This is what it means. This is what it's going to mean for you. Let's all get involved. It is not up to government on its own to save the planet. We've all got to do it and we've all got to take part in it. And one of the things that we found in the polling when we asked the public in Northern Ireland, do, do you think we're going to achieve a net zero economy by 2050? Seven in 10 of the public in Northern Ireland said, no, I don't think we're going to achieve that, even though that's 26 years in the future. I mean, that's that's kind of a, a pretty raw sense of pessimism. So I think that's what government needs to change. Northern Ireland is no different from the rest of the UK or Western Europe in that at all. Those findings really um, leapt out at me. Marie, I just wanted to get your sense. Obviously, again, this is all part of an incoming executive's intray about things that they need to deliver. Um, uh, what did you make of the findings and was there anything in particular about that in, that in the net zero piece that jumped out at you? Yeah, so there's obviously legislation now, David, um, since 2022 on the, the Climate Change Act here in Northern Ireland that does compel legally compel government here to, to deliver some things. I think um, we did see we did see a movement in this year from last year in terms of planning around net zero expectation, thinking about focus on net zero. There, there undoubtedly was movement and people are exercised and energised about it. I think the, the overriding problem we, we heard of, David, was that there is no money. Where is the money to do these things? So where is the money to retrofit all of the housing executive housing stock to 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 be to be net zero? Where is the money to to to, to you know transform our transport network to be net zero um to move to to electrification to move to hydrogen buses so it, it's challenging everyone agrees that it has to be done everyone is committed in in theory to the targets of the net of the 2020 net zero ambitions but um there is an overriding question about where is the money going to come from i think there's also a question about where the delivery capacity and capability is best is, is best to sit in government here. You know, it, the, the responsibility for net zero cuts across all aspe aspects of government. But, you know, Department of Agriculture um, would have would have a significant responsibility. Department of Economy with energy in there would have also a lot of responsibility. So there is pockets, significant pockets across different parts of government. And there were some people talk to, talking to us about the need for a Pacific office or implementation units needed to be set up. And, and UK government machinery of government changes did did recognize this some time ago so is there is there a need to do something in northern ireland to really recognize and prioritize net zero and i think um you know we had the green party as part of the executive in northern ireland when we had the last executive we won't have this time i think it's going to be very interesting as we see the the, the restoration of the executive to see what the attitude towards net zero and how how far up that list of long list of priorities it's going to be it's fascinating a bit it'll be interesting to see uh, how, how some of those things past uh, before collapse um, actually progress. Just this final question for uh, for you both. You did something really, really interesting at the launch to wrap up. And I just thought it was actually, it stuck with me. Um, you got people to sum up the state of the state in three words. I promise I won't pose that very unfair question to you two. Um, I, I, won't, uh, I, I, won't, I won't do what you just did to your interviewees. Um, 
But just in a general sense, maybe if in three sentences, there are, so I'll be fairer to you, I'll give you three sentences maybe. Uh, Ed, I'll start off with you. In terms of sewing up the state of the state, the Northern Ireland state and, and the wider UK picture, how is it this year? I mean, obviously we've gone through an awful lot of instability, mm. cost of living crisis, wars, three prime ministers, a collapse, exiting the EU, all this stuff over the past few years. We're, we're, we're in 2024, where are we? Are we in a... Are we in a better place? Are we, are we tracking? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So, so I think I think this year's State of the State tells a story about a public sector that is tired. It's dealt with successive crises over the last uh, 10 years, from austerity to COVID to the cost of living crisis. And it's had to deal with the fallout from those things, uh, inflationary effects, uh, reducing its spending power, heightened demand on public services. Uh, so it's had to deal with an awful lot. And I, and I think that would sum up the state of the state. But you, you're talking about um, the, the interviews that we did with 108 public sector leaders, and we did indeed end every one of those interviews with the same awful question, which is what is the state of the state in three words? And um, it's interesting when you, when you look at all that data, a lot of people had a lot of really negative uh, things to say, crisis, broken, dysfunctional. I mean, they're, they're really, um, really kind of some strung out comments. So by volume, there's a lot of negativity, but actually the word that we heard the most was challenging. So people are seeing the challenge and they are up for it. And three of the most common words we heard, much more positive, were hopeful, potential, and opportunity. And I think that for me sums up the state of the state. It's really tough out there, uh, but is led by people who are absolutely up for the challenge and who remain as optimistic as we all should. Okay, Marie. Same question to you. What, uh, with all your experience of this report and in doing this research, where do you think we're tracking? So um, I think when we spoke to, when we did the interviews, David, it as, as Ed has rightly alluded to, we, we heard things like really difficult, never been as challenging, budgets have never been as tight, don't know where the future of this is, how we marry up supply and demand. Um, but also an overarching need, as I said earlier, for a return to the executive. So I do think, as we sit here today on the cusp of a returning executive, we should acknowledge that we now have the opportunity to have those decisions taken, move on with some of the reform priorities that we had. We heard people saying things like, let's not do everything. Let's just pick a couple of things and get on and deliver. So I think we should be optimistic about the opportunity and hopeful about the opportunity to deliver on some of the transformations that are needed. But yeah, undoubtedly the tone and the sentiment out there at the end of last year was extremely negative and that is, you know, you have to reflect that against a number of years of successive crises, not least the COVID pandemic from 2020 through to 2022, and where we are now at the start of 2024, still being in a really difficult place for public service delivery. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you want to come in there? Uh, David, can, can I ask you a question in our last couple of minutes here? What's oh. the state of the state in three words? State of the state in three words. I knew you were going to do that to me. Um, state of the state is, um, I would say it is frayed, fractured, but opportunity as well. 
So Perfect. Perfect. Dad, I, like I didn't it. know you were even going to do that, but <laughs> the politician in me was very to, good. Come back. Was able to come back. Um, thank you so much, Marie and Ed, for coming and uh, speaking to the Slugger um, podcast. It's really great to get your insights, and well done again on another very good report. Thanks, David. Yeah, thank you, David. And I want to thank my guests, Marie Doyle, Ed Rodis. You've also been listening to me, David McCann. That's all we have time for in this episode of the Slugger O'Toole podcast. Just remember, you can catch up with everything else on sluggerotool.com in the meantime. And remember to click subscribe and download from all your favorite podcast providers.